For Dr. Patrick Oliver, director of Cedarville's criminal justice program, the recent events surrounding the death of George Floyd have been painful. In his new role as the lead consultant for Ohio's newly formed Office of Law Enforcement Recruitment, he has the opportunity to speak into one of the most important functions of a law enforcement agency, the hiring of officers. Listen as Dr. Oliver shares with host Mark Weinstein about his experience as a law enforcement leader and about how transformation begins with hiring quality officers. Hi, this is Mark Weinstein from Cedarville Stories Podcast. I'm back with Dr. Patrick Oliver for a second week of talking about his life, his stories in law enforcement. If you recall from last week's podcast, Dr. Patrick Oliver served in law enforcement for 27 years. He was the chief of police in Fairborn, Grandview Heights, and Cleveland, Ohio. Cleveland, Ohio is his hometown, so there's special meaning there. He's held other roles as a consultant, as a trainer, helping law enforcement officials rise to the level of chiefs of police. He's founded a mentoring process called Noble. That's the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives. As I said last week, just recently, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine appointed Patrick Oliver as a lead consultant for the Office of Law Enforcement Recruitment in the state of Ohio. So he, he holds lofty positions, important positions. But I want to pick up on last week's podcast and pivot somewhat from that conversation and move toward a little more of what's going on in our country today. For the majority of our time, I want to focus on Minneapolis and the events there. Actually, we could even include Atlanta. So what I'm interested in knowing as an African-American, what was your initial reaction when you learned how George Floyd died? When I saw the George Floyd video clip, uh, my initial reaction was, this is not a proper use of force option by law enforcement officers. Additionally, why didn't the other law enforcement officers at the scene intervene? And you could tell by the nature of this video clip that this is going to be another setback for law enforcement nationally. Right. And I always, in situations like this, wonder about the background of the officer involved, the officer with his knee on George Floyd's neck, and another situation where officers really are not doing constitutional-based policing, and just another reminder that training and supervision are important in the profession. So those are my key thoughts after seeing that. Is there any differentiation in your mind between what you thought initially, whether you look at it from a perspective of an African-American man versus a former chief of police, or are they the same? Uh, they're not the same. You look at it professionally, and then you look at it through the lens of your culture. So yeah. you see two different things. Professionally, you see uh, poor tactics, poor mm -hmm. strategy, a lack of responsibility and accountability. Culturally, you see another incident involving majority culture officers who don't seem to have the care and compassion for an African-American male. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 there's no question it was a tragic, sad, and disappointing situation. What you just said leads me to my next question. As believers in Christ, we are called to love one another. In John 13, 34, it reads, 
A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must also love one another. It doesn't say to love one another if you want to. It doesn't say to love one another if you have the same skin color or are from the same economic class or your hometown. It tells us to love one another. That cuts through all stereotypes and prejudices. So my question to you, Patrick, here we are in 2020. How is it possible that our country continues to see so much unnecessary violence in our culture, in our society? How can that still happen? Well, most Christians certainly would claim they understand this call to love one another, but how many live this out? The church has generally been silent on these high-profile improper use of force incidents. The George Floyd incident is the first time where churches and Christ-centered organizations that have actually made public statements against racism by law enforcement. The church really should promote racial reconciliation and be a leader on this issue. Mm -hmm. However, it's difficult for the church to do because 11 a.m. on Sunday morning is still the most segregated time in America. This means that the church is divided by ethnicity and not united by faith. So why don't churches speak on all this that you just mentioned, this unnecessary violence, the abuse of power by police, etc.? Well, we're in the age of apostasy, as yeah. told by the prophets in the Bible, that during the last days, as we uh, are in the season of the Lord's return, that there will be a falling away from the truth by the church. Also, we know that society is going to be like it was during the days of Noah. So the church is not being the salt and light that is called to be, and it needs to be, because you know there is a fallen nature of man, and so the gospel needs to be shared. And when we don't share the gospel, and when we don't let our voices be heard in society, it's a problem. I believe the pastor of our churches are certainly responsible to teach the entire gospel from Genesis to Revelation, but they also should be speaking out on, from time to time on issues that impact their congregation. So when you got COVID-19 going on, probably helpful to talk about it. When 9-11 occurs, probably helpful to talk about it. When you've got unrest over improper use of force, probably helpful to talk about it. Because people in the congregation are wanting to know, how do I understand this? What do I do? How should I think biblically about this? Mm -hmm, so right. You need to speak to the congregation on these issues from a biblical worldview. That just seems to me to be like practical Christianity, where the rubber meets the road. You know, you can't water down the gospel. You can't forget the gospel. That is central to our belief and who we are as, as Christ followers. Because it says, you know, in First Peter, that we, the love covers a multitude of sins. So that should guide us to reject racism in our world. Yes, but uh, the church has to be intentional. There's some um, research out there that provides some evidence that a lot of people who are raised in the church, boys and girls, step away from their faith as an adult. And one of the reasons that this occurs 
is that they don't see it being real for their parents. So they don't see how other than, you know, having some devotional time, trying to get some yeah. inspiration from the gospel, they don't see the faith being lived out in their life. And right. so when they become an adult, they just discard it. They don't yeah. need to be phony. Yeah. So thinking in terms of racial tension, unrest that we're facing in our country right now, what are some practical solutions that you could offer that should be implemented today to help us move through it? Obviously, one is pastors addressing issues from the pulpit on Sunday mornings. But what other steps could be taken to help us reject racism and move past all this? Let me, let me just say this foundationally. I believe that the problems we have in our society today can be laid primarily at the feet of the church. Because the unchurch, the unregenerate person, they don't even know what to do. We know what to do, and we serve the risen king, and right. we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we should be addressing these conditions. We need to be intentional. How many of us have a close personal relationship with somebody that doesn't look like us? How many of us are willing to speak out on this issue when it happens. How many of us really are studying our Bible every day, understanding yep. that it should be transforming our lives? Yep. How many of us are praying for our elected officials, our mayors, mm -hmm. our congresspeople, our senators, our judges, and our, the president of the United States? How many of us are trying to evangelize everybody we can. There are some things we need to do. How many of us are willing to vote every time there is an election? How many of us are willing to go into public office? You know, what our founders intended was for the common man to put aside their job for one term, go and serve elective office, and then come back and resume their life. So there's a number of things we need to do. We certainly need to be involved politically. Absolutely. And that's, uh, you see that across the country where there's so much apathy in our country uh, just to vote, Republicans and Democrats, uh, Christians and non-Christians. There's so much apathy and lack of trust among citizens and the politicians and probably vice versa. No one uh, trusts anyone, so they just give up, throw their hands up and, and move on. Uh, that leads me to really a maybe a pointed question. I'm a Caucasian. You're my African-American friend. Can you help me and help those listening to this podcast, frankly, so we can see racism for what it truly is? I think it would help if uh, people study or read up on implicit bias. Implicit bias means hidden bias. It means that we all have bias. We all have cultural bias, but we don't recognize that we have it. And the first step is to recognize that we have it and seek ways to manage it. I think, once again, you have to ask the question, how many people that don't look like you are you truly in a close relationship with where you get to know them? You know, developing your cultural competencies is should, certainly should be one of the educational outcomes of being in college because for many people that's the first time they're with people in a close environment 
that don't look like them. So you can take advantage of that. I think you need to find a way to make a difference. In, in many ways, that is probably the underlying thread of this message that everyone, regardless of skin color, needs to find a way to make a difference. And there's always ways to make a difference, whether it's just in my neighborhood or your neighborhood, or I work or wherever I am, we can and should make a difference, especially for those people who claim to be followers of Jesus. I'll tell you what a group of pastors have done in a nearby county. With this nearby county in uh, Southwest Ohio, a group of pastors, black, white, Latino, mm -hmm. all got together, approached multiple law enforcement agencies, and asked for a series of meetings where they could discuss this issue of policing. Yeah. And the heads of those police agencies were very receptive and talked through those issues and talked about how they can involve the minority community more in how policing is done and hear their concerns. So another thing every individual can do is get involved with their local police. Policing is an honorable profession. There are a lot of good people in it. Does it have some problems? Yes, it has some problems. But public safety is something that police do full time. However, it's a responsibility incumbent upon every citizen. Do you think police departments and policemen, women, are open to having dialogues with everyday citizens? Absolutely, they should be. Because one of the key things that's discussed over the last 30 years or more than that, is this whole notion of community-based policing right. or community engagement, that you're involved with the people that uh, you're policing. Mm -hmm. And so a law enforcement agency should seek to get input and feedback on both the quality and the scope of police services from members of the community. It's a partnership. Yeah. Crime is a community problem. I think I see that community-based policing, and that's a term that I've learned from you over the years. I think I see that aspect of policing more when we're in a crisis of some kind. So I see police officers doing mimics and, or, or games or whatever it is with the local residents. I see that more often than just regular day-to-day -day when things are just going like normal. I think your point is well taken that that should be the everyday occurrence so that relationships are built. And as relationships are built, then there's trust and everyone can thrive in that kind of environment. I think that's one point that you're getting to. Patrick, as we near the end of this podcast, I want to thank you for sharing a lot of information over the last two weeks on the importance of policing, especially as we, we live in a very difficult time for police officers and citizens. As you train people, you mentor black law enforcement world through Noble. You are now the lead consultant for Governor Mike DeWine's law enforcement recruitment initiative. We're going to briefly talk about that in a minute. But with all that said, are you, are you optimistic? Are you hopeful that better days are ahead for our society through policing? The answer is both yes and no. I'm not trying to equivocate, but I would say yes, because I now see an environment that is ripe for change because um, this George Floyd incident was a key moment in our history. The church now appears to be open 
to discussing this issue and getting involved in this issue. And I think law enforcement understands that they can't continue to go on in certain areas the way they've operated in the past. Now, no, because we know from the gospel of Jesus Christ that our society and our world is actually getting worse. That does not mean that we throw up our hands in frustration, nor should we live in fear, because the Lord has asked us to occupy until he comes. Right. So our hope should be in Jesus Christ and as Lord and Savior, and trusting him, and living for him, and seeking to serve him, and making a difference in our world. So in some ways, yes. In some ways, understanding Bible prophecy, we know that it's getting darker. But in the words of the late Adrian Rogers, it's growing gloriously dark. Yeah, it is. The darker it gets, the brighter I light. That's right. And and it it should be that way. I go back to a, a response you made earlier in the podcast about going into homes where they're filthy and it's like you, when you come home, it, it drives you to your knees just for gratitude to the Lord for your life. I think the same thing can be said about our dark society. It should drive us to our knees every day to pray for our neighbors, to pray for our leaders, pray for people we don't even know, for the hope that we will have the opportunity to have them see the light of Jesus through our lives and through our words. I have uh, just two questions left, and I want to congratulate you on being selected by Governor DeWine to serve in this law enforcement recruitment task force or committee, helping Ohio police departments hire well. I know it's a passion of yours. You've written a book on the topic. What was going through your mind and and heart when uh, the governor approached you about leading this consulting job with you? Well, the recruitment, selection, and retention of law enforcement officers is my greatest passion, my most important area of study. And so if somebody asks you to do something that you're really passionate about and to do it on the state level and being asked by the political chief executive officer of the state, you consider it an honor or privilege, certainly a blessing by the Lord. And so I certainly felt like this is something that I wanted to do and needed to do. So as you start this initiative, obviously this is in addition to your faculty position at Cedarville. What goes through your mind? What what are the first steps that you need to take to help state law enforcement officials uh, hire well? Which in, in my mind, I think you're going to address minority hiring and hiring of women. Is that correct? Yes. Um, once again, this initiative is to help law enforcement agencies throughout Ohio to recruit law enforcement officers with a focus on minorities and women. And so we've got to help them take a holistic perspective on how to effectively recruit. So the first step really is making sure that we frame all the key components of what we're going to do out of this office uh, on this initiative. So you believe the hiring process is the most important thing to having good police departments and police leaders. Is that correct? 
Absolutely, that is correct. Police agency transformation begins with hiring quality officers. Right. Said many times that the hiring of a law enforcement officer is the single most important function of any law enforcement agency. Yep. And the cultural diversity of a law enforcement agency should be reflective of its service population. Right. One of the things we're going to be doing in this initiative is developing and sharing best practices in, in law enforcement recruitment and selection. Effective hiring leads to effective job performance. So those two go together. We want to be able to help agencies understand how to manage a successful law enforcement hiring process. Yeah. And law enforcement agencies will need good support if they're going to be able to attract and select good officers. So yeah. the governor's office wants to provide that support. I congratulate Governor DeWine for taking this bold initiative. Obviously, it comes out of a bad situation that was in Minneapolis and now in Atlanta. So bad situations hopefully will lead to good results here in Ohio. And I thank you for taking the charge from the governor. And I'm sure you're going to lead well and make a difference in our state. Patrick, before we go, what's the Lord teaching you during this time of unrest and quarantine and the pandemic? What's he teaching you right now through his word? I think one of the things he's saying to me is what he's saying to most other people. During this time when you couldn't really, for a long time, go to a restaurant, go to a sporting event, you know, go out and visit with people, go to birthday parties, in some cases not even be able to visit, you know, elderly parents. I think he's saying, I need you to come closer to me. I need you to hear my voice. I want to tell you what it is that I expect of you and what I want you to do. So he's cut out a lot of the noise. And if we were listening, um, we should come out of COVID-19 differently than we came into COVID-19. And that differently is being closer to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and hearing his voice and seeking his will. Yeah. Well, hopefully that is the case. Otherwise, COVID-19 was not fully utilized for, uh, for good, not just humanly speaking, but spiritually speaking as well. I want to encourage my listeners to uh, pray for Patrick Oliver as he takes on this important role with the state of Ohio, as well as continue to teach and lead future law enforcement students at Cedarville University. He's got a lot on his plate. He's a father of three and has a great wife. And uh, just pray for him as he steps out on this journey. And I know he will appreciate those prayers. Patrick, thank you for joining me this week on the Cedarville Stories podcast. I look forward to seeing you on campus when we can uh, get back there. And uh, as you know, I cherish you as a friend and uh, God bless you. God bless you, my friend. Thank you for listening to Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by this conversation, like I was, please share this episode with a friend. If you know of an awesome Cedarville story, share it with us. We would love to showcase how God is at work in the Cedarville family. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory. Glory.